0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to talk a little bit about film in our second segment today, two very different entities in the celluloid world. We'll talk about Food, Inc., with our good pal, Dr. Whitney Lehman. Many of the topics in that film we have talked about on this show, and several of which we talked about specifically with Dr. Lehman. That will be interesting, we'll wager. And we'll also take it where we left off in talking about public enemies with Matt Perry. Hard to think of two more different uh, cinematic experiences, I think, but they should both prove worth your while. Stay tuned for that in segment two. Let us start the show as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 30th of July. On July 30th in 1894, cornflakes were invented by brothers Will Keith Kellogg and Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. Dr. Kellogg was the superintendent and his brother the business manager of a hospital and health spa in Battle Creek, Michigan. They stressed healthful living and had their patients on a strict diet without caffeine, meat, alcohol, or tobacco. I understand the brothers had something of a falling out along the way. I'm not sure which of the two stuck with the Kellogg brand, but whichever one it was, uh, they were responsible for bringing us the Beverly Hillbillies, another similar fare on television in the 1960s, which I think undid a lot of that healthful living they were trying to promote. In this date in 1918, French Captain Saray made the first-ever parachute jump from a plane, leaping out at the height of 800 feet. In 1936, American author Margaret Mitchell sold the film rights for Gone with the Wind to MGM. David O. Selznick had balked at Mitchell's asking price, $50,000, which is more than any studio had ever paid for the rights to a first novel. He gave in, however, just before the book was released. And on July 30th 1956, the phrase, In God We Trust, was adopted as the U.S. national motto. It was originally stamped on coins during the Civil War, but was officially adopted in response to the growing influence of the Soviet Union. The USSR was notably atheistic in its philosophy, and politicians in the U.S. wanted to show that we weren't like them. I suppose we should note that it was 40 years ago this week that uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono staged a bed-in. This took place in Montreal, where the duo spent eight days in a bed-for-peace protest of the Vietnam War. This led to what was described as the cacophonous album, (laughs) Give Peace a Chance, which is not well-loved by Beatles fans. Beatles had a lot of great ideas, but an eight-day bed-in protest of the Vietnam War may not have been at the forefront of the list. But it does get mentioned somewhere in one of the great Beatles tunes, The Ballad of John and Yoko, which I think we should excerpt, Mr. McMillan. The said, what Our quote of the day is as follows. Pangolins save us millions of dollars a year in pest destruction. We cannot afford to overlook their ecological role as controllers of termites and ants. This comes from Stuart Simon of the Species Survival Commission of the International Union of Conservation of Nature. And that's a mouthful. Describing how the Chinese appetite for pangolin meat, pangolins are also known as spiny anteaters, is driving them to extinction. The animals eat ants and termites, and in their absence, you'll be able to expect a uh, a flourishing of both populations. As the uh, Chinese economy is improving, uh, so has its uh, desire to eat meat, and uh, it doesn't spell the end of the pangolin. Our quip of the day comes from David Letterman, referring to the eclipse which passed over Asia last week. Letterman said, Interesting reaction from Rush Rush Limbaugh. He says the solar eclipse proves the unreliability of solar power. I want to thank Stan for sending us those wonderful photos of the eclipse. Yours truly had mentioned how he would dearly have loved to gone to Shanghai or Wuhan to see it, but the photos look strikingly like Shanghai at night, meaning that what I would have seen had I gone to Shanghai is <laughs> still freely available, and I do look forward to visiting one day. Our stat of the day is that 70% Hollywood films depict firearms, with gun manufacturers paying handsomely to have their products worked into scenes. You know, i just like to see a movie that comes out of Hollywood uh, anytime time in the last like decade that doesn't a- involve pistol shots to the head. This seems to be a staple fare of drama and comedies alike. I don't know, there was a time when I guess filmmakers, you know, actually had life experience, didn't watch other films, and decide that Boy, what better way to perk up the flick than have somebody shoot a guy in the head? Or, or gal, as the case may be. Or in some cases, children. Actually, that's a downer stat. We got, we got to lift that up. Here's one I like. According to CBS News, 51% of Americans believe the U.S. should invest in sending astronauts to Mars despite our current economic crisis. And of course, they're absolutely right. Yay. Unfortunately, 43% of Americans believe Misguided individuals, I'm sure to the last, oppose a manned mission to Mars. And this correspondent is delighted to note that the current edition of The Week magazine has on its cover the following story Next Stop Mars. Should the U.S. raise its ambitions in space? And the answer, of course, is yes. Because the big defense contractors are not going to go away anytime soon. And if for no other reason than to keep them from building bombs and things that kill people, we should have them send us to Mars. It may cost a couple of hundred billion dollars to do it, which if you think about it is what we've been wasting in Iraq over the last six months. Since we're talking about some of the same defense contractors, we should be calling them war contractors, but let's call them defense contractors. Same people. Let's have them do something more productive, shall we? And of course, there's plenty of other good reasons to go. We're trying to figure out how our atmosphere works on this planet, and it's good to have some controls. We'd learn a lot if we went to Mars about planet Earth. And although it's not exactly a joke, uh, our humor... Quotation of this segment will come from Gene Weingarten, who writes a column for the Washington Post to quote, don't you hate it when the driver in front of you does something boneheaded, but don't you hate it even more when you do something boneheaded and the driver behind you won't let you forget it? You know you screwed up. You don't need the services of the Tisk Tisk squad. The other day, I started to switch lanes without sufficient reconnaissance. The guy I was cutting off quickly hit his horn. I swerved back before any damage was done. I meekly ducked my head and raised a palm in the universal semaphore for Sorry, idiot here. This was obviously not enough penance for the other driver who leaned on his horn for a full five seconds before he slowly passed by, giving me the stink eye. The guy then failed to notice the orange traffic cone dead ahead, which he plowed right into. It got dragged under his car where it apparently severed his muffler. The last I saw of him, in my rearview mirror, He was pulling to a stop on the shoulder with sparks flying. Now, I do not consider myself a vindictive person. I know this should not have been an occasion for jubilation, and I definitely felt a little sorry for the guy once I'd wiped away all the tears and drool. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why doesn't that sort of thing happen to me? The answer is that God loves me more than he loves you. And we have a lot of ground to cover today, so let's jump right into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for conspiracy theorists, noting that NASA had admitted that videotapes of the alleged moon landing 40 years previously had been erased. The tapes were shipped to a federal records center, which apparently didn't realize what it had, claimed NASA engineer Richard Nobsger. Note to the magazine, it was simultaneously a bad week last week for conspiracy theorists, In the wake of NASA's Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter returning images of the old lunar landing sites, which showed the surface marked by abandoned scientific instruments and astronauts' footprints. We tried to tell you on this show. But finally, it was an ugly week last week for car thieves. When Oakland police revealed that a man impersonating a police officer tried to pull over a real undercover cop. Apparently, Antonio Fernandez Martinez of Oakland was arrested after trying to pull over an unmarked police vehicle. Martinez was driving a Ford Crown Victoria outfitted with flashing lights, a microphone, and speakers. Apparently, the undercover officer was not fooled. Martinez, who is a convicted car thief, will now have his felony probation revoked and could face a prison term. We mentioned uh, anniversaries on July 30th, but uh, this year... 2009 marks the 70th anniversary of what people consider to be the greatest year in the history of film. That would be 1939, the year in which both Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz came out, in addition to Of Mice and Men, Ninotchka, Stagecoach, and many other favorites. Apparently Hollywood's banner year gets a look on Turner Classic Movies tomorrow, and uh, they'll be interviewing some classic directors. Might be worth a look. And speaking of space, as we were a second ago, uh... The letters to the editor, well, not our letters to the editor, but New Scientist Magazine's letter to the editor, contains the following. Writing from Parkdale, Victoria, Australia, Roderick Cripps said, The anniversary of the moon landing is an appropriate time to note the changing technologies involved. In particular, the moon landing would not have been possible had it not been for the analog computer. I worked for Electronic Associates, which made these computers for NASA. They performed calculations using physical variables such as voltage. Even the best digital computers of the day were too slow to calculate the parameters needed to ensure the craft would complete its mission safely. Analog computers operating in parallel can solve differential equations at very high speeds. The equations were, in this case, mainly simultaneous partial differential equations in four variables, three space dimensions and time. No mean feat for an early computer. I did not know that, but I like analog stuff, and I'm glad to hear we got to the moon with the help of analog computers. And you kids, get off of my lawn! I'm sorry. Analog clocks just just kick the crap out of digital clocks. I'm sorry. All right, from the Amusing Headlines division, we have the following. Sacramento Bee Home and Garden section. Headline, Don't fret about crossbreeding squash. Whoa, dodged a bullet on that one. I must say, until I saw that headline, I never once in my life even contemplated the fact that squash can crossbreed. This came in response, apparently, to a reader named Carla Johansson, challenging the details behind a story about (laughs) pumpkinies. apparently zucchinis crossed with pumpkins, the, uh, the bee stated that pumpkins and zucchinis can cross-pollinate, but the fruit will still be pumpkins or zucchinis because they're only carrying the offspring seeds. It's only if those seeds are planted next year that you'll get pumpkinis. It's basic biology. and maybe basic biology, but this uh, this biology major must have needed more botany because it seems to me if you take the uh, pollen from one and mix it with basically the, the eggs of another, it's, uh, the fruit... Shouldn't just be one or the other, but uh, as Ronald Reagan might say, I'm no botanist. but they did dis- they did satisfy themselves in the article that uh, that uh, it's true. the pumpkinis cited in the question grew from second generation seeds. So there you have it. You can put pumpkins and zucchinis in your backyards and not worry about it. On a uh, slightly different note from the B, I also noted the uh, section on how they voted contained the following interesting data. Last week, the U.S. Senate voted 58 to 20 to halt further production of the Air Force's missile-eluting F-22 Raptor fighter jets. And although a yes vote was a vote in favor of the amendment to halt further production of the planes, both California Senators Barbara Boxer and Dianne Feinstein voted No. Yep, you got that right. This plane, which was designed for aerial combat against Soviet fighters, has not flown a single mission in Iraq or Afghanistan because the desert sand damages its complex inner workings. And although Defense Secretary Robert Gates made the F-22 the centerpiece of efforts to shift defense priorities from conventional high-priced warfare to fighting insurgencies, they had to overcome fierce opposition from legislators representing districts where the F-22 components are built, which apparently includes Barbara Boxer and Diane Feinstein. All right, I guess we're quoting from the B again here. The Blog Watch, described as being from the region's blogosphere, has something posted by our pal Dan Bacher. Dan will be back on the show again uh, next month. Dan noted that the Schwarzenegger regime plans to start drilling for Peripheral Canal. Noting the State Department of Water Resources is planning to begin drilling into river bottoms of the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta next month to obtain information for proposed intake structures and tunnels for the peripheral canal. State officials claim the drilling is necessary for the state to evaluate different conveyance options under the controversial Bay Delta Conservation Plan. Fishermen, farmers, and environmentalists see the plan to drill as laying the groundwork for the peripheral canal even though the project hasn't been authorized or funded yet. Dan quoted Matt Notley, spokesman for the Department of Water Resources, as saying, We're not building a canal intake now. This is part of a survey process we've done for several months on land as part of the environmental review under the BDCP. Dan quotes Bill Jennings, chairman of the California Sport Fishing Protection Alliance, saying it was subterfuge for the DWR to start the drilling process for proposed intakes before it's been decided whether or not the canal will be built adding that a growing coalition of Delta farmers, commercial fishing groups, recreational anglers, Indian tribes, and environmentalists see the canal as a water grab by corporate agribusiness. Dan Bacher, of course, is on to something, and we're going to bring him back to talk about this, uh, this water grab. And by the way, the opinions you hear in this program, they do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University okay. of California. But uh, I'm pretty sure you knew that. Dan's uh, talk on water and environmentalist uh, concerns about what's happening in California uh, do have an example from around the world we should take a look at as we close this segment. When I was studying geography back in the ninth grade, the world's fourth largest inland body of water was the Aral Sea. But uh, Soviet uh, planners got the idea in the 1960s that they should grow cotton using water diverted from the streams that fed into the Aral Sea. They diverted so much water for this agricultural scheme that the lake started drying up. And last week, new images from Europe's Envisat satellite had, uh, had further bad news about this body of water. By the year 2000, it had split into three smaller lakes. These latest images show that 80% of its large eastern lobe has disappeared in the last three years. The Aral Sea is one of the world's great eco catastrophes and certainly provides us with an example of what we don't want to do here in California. We said it before and we'll probably say it again that I'll start believing in water conservation here in Northern California when we get some guarantees that all the water we're saving with low flush toilets and letting your lawns turn brown. All that water that remains in the reservoirs will not simply be shipped south to Southern California so that real estate development can continue unabated in desert regions. And will someone out there listening please find the data that we need to know how much of the water that enters into California's water project evaporates before it uh, finds any use down in uh, San Joaquin Valley Farms or southern california urban regions we'd like to know that we're confident the data's out there but no one's been able to get it to us yet please someone help us anyway you're listening to radio parallax i'm douglas everett let's take a short break and come back and talk about uh film with two of this program's friends matt perry and whitney lehman Have uh-huh. a